time for Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. Dr. Chen is the pastor at Grace Church of the Bay Area, a church committed to glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ through verse-by-verse expository preaching to learn exactly what God has revealed in His Word. Now, here's Dr. Chen with today's message. You are, my friends, blessed. Blessed, blessing, blessed, It is a word and a concept that is familiar to all of us. But what does it really mean? It's a word that has a distinct importance to Christians, those in the church, yet it is used by all sorts of people for all kinds of situations. Now think about it. We just came off of the Christmas season and where the word blessed or blessing is seen everywhere by secular corporations, unbelievers, perhaps even atheists. I think the most interesting use of this word is just think about it. What did you say the last time someone sneezed? You ever wondered what that means? Bless you, God bless you. Why do we say it? Well, now in our culture, we say it because it's a polite thing to do, and that's okay. But there's a few different reasons, actually, why historians believe this saying came to be, to say bless you, or more specifically, God bless you after a sneeze. Back in the first century... It was because of a superstition. There were some who believed that a sneeze was the body's way of expelling an evil spirit. And so saying God bless you was a way to provide some sort of protection against the evil spirit that was either now fleeing the body or still residing in it. There's also, perhaps you medical professionals have heard this one, there's a false belief that every time you sneeze, briefly your heart stops beating. I heard this many years ago and and believed it for a long time. And so God bless you was a way of ensuring one's health or to thank God for surviving what was essentially a mini heart attack. The reality is that though there is a change in blood flow due to uh, the increase of a thing called intrathoracic pressure, your heart does change a little bit. There's a decrease in blood flow back to the heart. So the heart briefly adjust its rhythms to compensate. However, a sneeze does not affect the electrical activity of the heart, so it doesn't stop beating at any point. Then there was the plague in 541 AD that spread across the Eastern Roman Empire. And even if you just vaguely remember world history, you know how devastating these plagues were back then without modern medicine. And there is a belief that Pope Gregory I decreed that any time a sneeze was heard, the sneeze, the sneezer was to be blessed by the saying, God bless you, while crossing over their mouth as a protection against the plague. Now we understand, both theologically and scientifically, that as fun as all of those historical fun facts are, they are quite silly, especially in light of modern science and what we understand about the Scriptures. But it goes to show just how flippantly and perhaps even carelessly, we use and understand the idea of blessing. But today, this morning and next week, I want to give you a study that gives us the truth behind blessing. And it all starts with the fact that true blessing, any blessing, is an act of grace. But don't take my word for it. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4-9. through 
verses 4 through 9 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 is our passage for this morning and next week. The Apostle Paul continues his greeting in this letter to the church at Corinth. And he says in verse 4 and following, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you are enriched in Him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, through whom you were called into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Over the next two weeks, I want to give you our outline as eight realities. Eight realities of the grace bestowed upon believers. Eight realities of the grace bestowed upon believers. And understand that I use blessing and grace interchangeably because they are interconnected in the Christian's life. And hopefully, even this morning, we will see why. The first reality of the grace bestowed upon believers is the source of blessing. The source of blessing. Let me read for you again verse 4. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus. I want to remind you at this point that Paul's treatment by the Corinthians to whom he is writing at this point in his life is hurtful, it is demeaning, it is disrespectful. And yet, in what ended up being God's Word, the Scriptures, he says he thanks God for them. Right off the bat, we are given the underlying theme of everything we're going to look at in this passage. You see, it's not about the Corinthians per se. It's about what God has done, is doing, and will do in the Corinthians. And when we talk about God's grace in our lives, which leads here to the response of thanksgiving. It is only in and through God's grace that we can have the right perspective on anything in this life. Despite our sin, despite our spiritual shortcomings, despite our moral failures, God is still gracious. God is still blessing. In other words, God is still God. The King is on His throne and thus he is still fulfilling His promises to us. So, in the same way, Paul will focus on and address the Corinthian shortcomings in this letter. But, he first lays the proper foundation in both his thinking and in their minds by speaking of the grace of God. Because for any of this to make sense that we will be looking at over the next probably couple of years, the seriousness of their sin, the desire to repent, even Paul caring about them at all, Paul even caring that they're sinning. We must understand the source of blessing and grace. It is God. If this just ended on the human level, none of this would be here. It is because of God's grace in the Corinthians' lives, in Paul's life, that makes him write this letter, that makes him care what the church is doing, that makes him care what the individual believers are doing. And what we start with, though, is not the daily blessing of life and breath and worldly provision and pleasures that God gives us. What we focus on is what the Corinthians have in Christ 
Jesus. This, first and foremost, is their salvation. Again, when we talk about grace, we understand everything is grace. Everything, the daily provision, every breath that we've taken, the the dozens, hundreds, if not thousands of times your heart has beaten since you walked in this door that you have not even recognized, you have not even felt, and yet it is God's grace sustaining your heart. All of those we understand, we recognize, we appreciate as believers because of what is most synonymous with, with God's grace, and that is the Gospel. That is our salvation. And this is where we must start. This is where we must start as a foundation for any other thing that we would consider grace or a blessing from God. And in this context, Paul is speaking of all of the undeserved gifts that God has freely bestowed on the Corinthians because they are believers. When Paul speaks of grace, he's referring to concrete expressions of God's blessing or gracious activity in their lives, especially their spiritual gifts, as we'll see in the context. And this is really important to understand because the Corinthians were abusing their gifts. This is one of the main issues that we will see in 1 Corinthians that the Apostle Paul is addressing, confronting the church at Corinth not having gifts, that's a good thing, but abusing the gifts that God has given them and allowing their giftedness to feed their pride, resulting in arrogance, resulting in individuals thinking they're better than other Christians in the church, which led them to using their gifts not to build each other up, but to build themselves up. And so not only is Paul giving thanks for people that are distressing him, he's giving thanks in particular, for their gifts, which are the means by which they are distressing Him. This is contrary to worldly thinking. To be thankful for people that are harming you. I think as believers, we can learn a lot from Paul's attitude. It's not just a momentary break from his anger in which he musters up the energy to be thankful for a split second. Look at his vocabulary. I thank my God always concerning you. That's not that he's giving thanks for the Corinthians nonstop 24-7, but the idea behind the Greek word is at every opportunity, as a regular habit, I give thanks to God for you. Whenever he can, Paul gives thanks to God concerning these individuals that are right now hating on him. And I don't think I need to remind you Again, that the you here refers to the very source of irritation in Paul's life at this time. Distress. Tears. And so, I want to ask you, are you thankful for God's work in others' lives even in the midst of being irritated, being inconvenienced, being used, being sinned against by that specific individual? If not, it's likely that you're focusing on the recipient of the blessing rather than the source of the blessing. And that's the point here. Paul gives thanks to God for the Corinthians. It's only in God that this is possible considering the circumstances. Like Paul, we must start with this first reality of grace bestowed. The source of 
of blessing and thus the source of thanksgiving. Whether it's thankful for what He has done for us or thankful for what He is doing in other people, even if they are not treating you the way you would like. This principle can also carry over to our attitudes in general and not just how we view others. We must always remember God's grace. Not just grace. God's grace. See, it's one thing to be treated nicely or to receive favor from another sinner. In other words, another human being. It is an entirely different galaxy to receive grace from your Creator whose infinite, undeniable, and immeasurable wrath you deserve and have earned. Only to be given His grace instead. Because what the tortured and crucified Savior deserved and earned on your behalf. Remember God's grace. When we look at other people, we have a tendency to think. This is why we get upset. Maybe these words don't cross your mind, but this is the attitude when we get upset, when we get offended, when we give the silent treatment, when we don't want to talk to that individual anymore. You just don't think you deserve to be treated that way by that individual. And perhaps sometimes we even think, yeah, and I did this for him. Can you believe this? Can you believe how much I sacrificed for him and now he treats me like this? Does he have any idea how hard it was to find that gift I gave him for Christmas? How expensive that was. And he treats me like this? I don't deserve that. When we think about God's grace versus God's wrath, the only thing you deserve is God's wrath. The only thing you have earned in and of yourself is hell. Anything above that is grace. And so we look at other people and how they treat us. And it's not that we take this to a weird spiritual level where we say like, well, thanks for hitting me. You know, you should hate me more because I just deserve hell. No, that's not it. There's still, you know, social graces and interpersonal relationships that we need to work on. But the reality is, is whenever we get cocky about what we deserve, what, what I've done, what I should get, you've missed the whole point of grace and perhaps you don't even understand it. At least in that moment, you've forgotten. Everything is grace and so in general. Whether you're having difficulties with a neighbor or family member, you don't like your work, you don't think you make enough money, you can't pay the bills, whatever it is, understand that every penny, every breath, every greeting, every relationship is undeserved. That is the very definition of grace. And when you understand that, then you understand why Paul can be thankful for people who are treating him so poorly. And in turn, in focusing on grace, easier said than done, I understand. But when we focus on grace, then we too can be overwhelmingly thankful regardless of our circumstances, regardless of how other people are treating us. We move on and see this further in our second reality of the grace bestowed upon believers. And that is the depth of blessing. The depth of blessing. In the first part of verse 5, we read that in everything you were enriched in Him. Paul goes on to explain the fullness of grace that all believers have received. 
The word everything here in the Greek means everything. In everything, you are enriched in Him. The Greek word literally is all or every. Everything. All that we need, God has given us and it is a blessing. All that we have, God has given and it is a blessing. And in every aspect, Paul says, the Corinthians and all believers are enriched in Him. That word enrich literally means to make rich or exceedingly rich. In other words, it's not just average. It's not just getting by. It's wealth. And this makes a a clear distinction between who the Corinthians and we were before salvation and who we all are today. Once spiritually poor, destitute, and bankrupt, we are now in Christ because of His grace, because of His blessing, not just getting by, but we are spiritual millionaires in everything. In everything. Ephesians 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Colossians 2.9 and 10 For in Him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form and in Him you have been made complete. Not partial. Not 99.9. You have been made complete and He is the head over all rule and authority. 2 Peter 1.3 says God has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Everything. This is talking about spiritual needs. We have everything we need spiritually. This is, this is not a, a point in your life where if there's a sin that you just can't overcome, there's a sin you cannot repent of, it's not because you're missing something. It's not because uh, if you give more to the church, then the Holy Spirit will help you. Well, you haven't hit your 10-year anniversary mark as a believer yet because then you'll be able to overcome that. No, you have everything you need spiritually to overcome that sin, to repent, to turn to Him, to grow. And although the context in our passage, as well as the references we just looked at, refer to spiritual needs, I want to make mention of physical needs. We know from the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus promises that all our physical needs will be met as well. You say, well, that doesn't seem like it. All our physical needs, not wants, needs. But that's only true as secondary to our spiritual needs. Your greatest spiritual needs is forgiveness of sin, which is justification at the moment of salvation and continue forgiveness as you sin as a believer. Second to that, God promises to meet all of our needs for those who are in Him. One, spiritual, is the foundation for the other, physical. In other words, because of His grace and our spiritual needs, including salvation, we are locked into His promises for physical provision. The problem comes, and when I say problem, I'm saying doubt, discontent, questioning if he's really doing this. The problem comes when we are spiritually filled, as he has said we are, spiritually provided for, spiritually enriched, and that's still not enough. 
because we want to have all of those, but substitute the word spiritually with physically. We want to be physically enriched, physically filled, materially provided for. All our wildest dreams we want. And the the underlying problem there is that you are not content with what truly matters. You're not content with having everything you need spiritually. We're not satisfied with being spiritually wealthy because we want to be physically wealthy. We want more money. More, 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 more. You can't really ask for more, 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 more spiritually because He's already given you everything. More spiritual growth, more repentance, sure. But that's really up to you and your reliance on God as you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And maybe that's it. Maybe we've become so used to the Gospel. Maybe we've become so comfortable with the fact that we have been given every spiritual blessing that we're just kind of, it's not special anymore. We, we just have it. I, I know I overuse this illustration, but it's like that new, that, that new car you get. Right? No food in the car. Sorry. Finish your hamburger outside. Right? Waxing it, cleaning it, buying, going online and buying all your waxes and things like that. Parking super far away, walking in the rain because you don't want anyone to ding it. Then what happens five years later? You walk in that guy's car and you're like, what happened? Did a McDonald's explode in here? There's wrappers. There's a French fry under the mat. There's all these dings and scratches. It's a different color because he hasn't washed it in a year. We get used to good things, including our salvation, including the gospel, including the fact that we are spiritually rich. And so we look for fulfillment elsewhere. And when you're not content with what truly matters, your entire life will miss the point of this life, which is found in our third reality of grace, the mission of blessing. The mission of blessing. Paul writes that in everything you were enriched in Him, still holds true everything, but then he goes on to mention two specific ways we are enriched in all speech and all knowledge. Yes, all believers, Corinthians and Californians included, are enriched in all things, but there are two specific spiritual gifts that Paul mentions because they are two spiritual gifts that are so wonderful so divine, so gracious, because they allow us to fulfill our mission on earth, which is not to earn more money, not to have a bigger house or a new car. Our mission on earth is to understand and to proclaim His Word. Speech here is the articulation of the Gospel. It's the telling of God's truth. And this, as Paul says, is something all believers have. The ability to speak for God. It is not reserved for some Christians, but given to all Christians. Knowledge is the ability to apprehend that truth. To grasp it. It's not that we understand and know everything about God and understand every nuance of His Word and and, and no longer need commentaries or sermons. But we are given enough understanding and knowledge to speak effectively for the Lord as His representative. That may mean in that conversation 
that evangelistic conversation, you will not have every answer that they ask you. They may point to verses they've heard before and you like, I'm not sure, let me get back to you. But you can tell them how they can be saved. And if you are a Christian here this morning and say, no, 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 I can't. Yes, you can, because you're a Christian. If you're a Christian, you know the gospel, that's how you are saved. Arguing about Trump will not save someone. Convincing someone not to have an abortion will not save someone. You will save a life. Very good. But both of those people are still destined for hell. Convincing someone that homosexuality is not in their DNA does not save someone. There are plenty of unbelievers, plenty of political Republicans that believe these things and yet shake their fist at God. It is only the gospel that saves. And this, and much more as believers, you understand and can present to the world and to the church to edify and encourage them. We're given enough understanding and knowledge to speak effectively for the Lord as His representative. This has been Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. Grace to the Bay is the radio ministry of Grace Church of the Bay Area, practicing and proclaiming the purity of biblical truth. You're invited to join them for worship service in Burlingame, Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit the website gracebayarea.org for directions and other information, or to view a live stream of the service. As a listener-supported program, we ask that you consider making a tax-deductible donation so that we can continue to share Pastor Roger's teaching with you each week. Donations can be made through our website, kfax.com.